If you would open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, as, as always, we are so grateful for the privilege we have, Father, to dedicate this portion of our worship service to the opening of your word once again, and to read and to meditate and to study those things that you've given to us. Father, we are very much aware that we are in need of your word, that it is that which is used by your spirit to feed our souls, that it is what your spirit uses to change us, Father, so that we may become more like Christ. And also, Lord, that we may experience the great joy that you have for us. That as we live out your word before you in obedience, knowing, Lord, that in that we will find great satisfaction and meaning in life. And, Father, we ask that you would help us this morning to focus on your word. We pray, Lord, you would, as always, you would give us a desire to want to understand your word. That, Father, our minds and our hearts would be permeated with the scripture. And that we would desire to live out the truth. We ask, Lord, you help us to see the beauty of your word, as well as, Father, the value of it. So, Father, we ask now, as always, for your blessing on our time, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. What man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We need to remember that as Paul writes these words, that when he begins in verse 1 of chapter 2, that he's making a comparison. We've already covered before in great detail that Paul has talked about this idea that God has destroyed uh, the wisdom of the wise and has gone into a, a detailed understanding, uh, given us a detailed understanding of, of the 
uh, presuppositional truths of the Word of God. And we kind of spent some time talking about that and what that meant and how the wisdom of God compares to the wisdom of man and how just the way that God has created us and the way that we think, even that alone destroys the wisdom of man. So we're not going to go through all those things again. Paul moves on and he says here that I, brother, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. He's not saying that he was just kind of bumbling when he spoke. He is making a comparison. In the day of Paul, it was not unusual for there to be individuals who would visit city to city, and they would come and they would speak. Individuals who, would, uh, who had great gifts of, of uh, um, oratory, the individuals who were able to tell a story, those who were able to maybe discuss philosophy of, of the age. And people would come and they would, they would pay money, they would want to be associated with them. Kind of like, uh, maybe you'd, you're familiar with Tony Robbins, he's kind of a motivational speaker. You know how you can have a great life kind of a deal, and people pay lots of money to go hear him speak. Uh, wanted to hear what he says about how you can be successful in life, how you can be successful in romance, how you can be successful in whatever it happens to be. And there's a lot of those kinds of individuals around. It's not just preachers or individuals who are religious that do this kind of thing. And that was very common back in that day as well. In fact, maybe even more so in the sense that they didn't have the kinds of distractions that we have because we can go on the you know, you have your phone, you can go on the internet, you can go on your computer. There's all these things that we can go to to be distracted or to uh, kind of occupy our time. And so these individuals coming in sometimes would be people would gather together and talk about this speaker or that speaker and, and who was a better speaker. You know, like this individual was much more dramatic or I like listening to so-and-so because he's this or because he's that. Or I like going to hear this individual because of him I, I feel better about myself or I'm, I'm wealthier or whatever the case may happen to be. And so Paul wants to make sure that, that he emphasizes to them and they understand that what they're all talking about, what he's been talking about to them is from God, that their belief in the gospel, what has changed their life, what has revolutionized the way they live, is not based on this idea that Paul was just a better speaker than all the rest. It wasn't that he was just more clever than all the rest. So he's not, he's not really saying that he is unable to speak in an intelligent way. He is not saying that he's unable to make arguments that make sense, that are logical. He, he's not saying that he's, that he's not able to compare the, the Word of God to what these other individuals are saying and show how the Word of God is superior and the truth that comes from God is better in every way. He's not saying that he cannot do that. But what he wants them to understand is that when he came to them, that wasn't his uh, method of operation. He wanted to explain to them and to and to declare to them, really in simple language, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants them to remember that what they hold on to is from God. That's what we need to remember. Sometimes we, we tend to forget that. It's one of those things that it's not like you've forgotten it and you no longer remember it. You know, that you just intellectually have no clue as to what it is that you believe. But we sometimes, I guess as we just live our life, it's almost as well, you know, people who live over there, they, they believe this thing. And people who live here, they believe that thing. And I live here, so I believe this thing. It makes sense for me. It works for me. And we kind of miss, in fact, we greatly miss that what we believe is not just something that works for us. We need to be careful that we even 
say that to individuals because when you say you believe something and say that what works for me, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And sometimes what happens is the gospel is reduced to that. It is reduced to a message that is helpful. It's helpful for people to feel better about themselves. It's helpful for people to no longer feel guilty for their past mistakes. Or it's helpful because they get along better with people. Or it's helpful when you can kind of fill in the blank. It is true that we believe in the gospel because it's true. But we want to make sure that, we, that even when we say that, or if we're thinking that, that we're not somehow thinking that we believe the gospel because it's true and it's more clever than what everybody else believes in. It's, it's not because it's more clever. It is a message from God. And it, Paul wants to make sure that we are remembering that. That, that it is not just something we've just kind of settled into in our lives and we kind of you know, put it on the back burner. Because in our country, one of the great difficulties that we have, and maybe it's not just unique to our country, I think it's, it's something that affects Christianity all over the world, and that is, is that we are tempted to kind of place our Christianity on the back burner. We don't intend to do that, but we do that. And it is maybe more easily done here in our country because... Our country has been so greatly affected by the gospel message through the years. So a lot of the things that we enjoy, our freedoms that we have, the ideas of, of how we believe that people should be free comes from the scripture. Uh, the, the basic morality that we still have in our country, though it is declining, but the basic morality is, again, that which comes from the Bible. So we live in a place that has been greatly shaped by the ideas from the word of God by men who were Christian and by those who just borrowed from the idea of Christianity because they, they thought it was the best thing that was out there. And so because we have it, in a sense, rather easy, because we don't really face persecution, there's no physical persecution, none of us are going to be, at least not right now, none of us are going to be arrested or beaten because of uh, our faith. We, we might face some, some obstacles where people may mock us and people may make fun of us, and, but we're not really facing any great danger and so as a result of that, our life, in, in one sense, as, as faithful Christians, is easy. And as a result of that, we're not really on our guard, and we are easily susceptible to being influenced by our society, and that's happened a great deal. And so Paul here wants to make sure that, that they understand why they believed, and again, why they believed is not because Paul was clever or because Paul was a better speaker. In fact, he says in verse 2, he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul, again, is not saying that he chose just to be an idiot and forgot all the other information that's out there. What he's saying is, is that he was more focused on this, that he wasn't going to become distracted on all these various philosophical issues that were out there. He was focused on Christ. And, and it doesn't mean that he had somehow narrowed the message of Christ to only being just a few sentences. Because we sometimes tend to do that. We understand what the gospel is. And we can explain the gospel in a few sentences. That Jesus Christ, who is, uh, who is God, came in the form of man uh, to save man, to redeem man from his sin. He came and he lived a perfect life. And then he offered help himself to be sacrificed on our behalf and then was buried and rose again on the third day so that those of us who placed our faith in him could be saved. And we, we recognize that. And sometimes what happens is, is that we kind of 
shrink the gospel down to only being that and somehow that it doesn't even really affect too much too many other aspects of life that it's just well I'm saved now I'm going to heaven and then that's it and we just kind of put it on the side so Paul is not trying to shorten the message or diminish the message or cause the message to no longer be as far reaching as it is he just wants them to know what he was focused on when he came and when he spoke to them that again, he wasn't trying to confuse them or overwhelm them with this broad number of topics that he could speak on that he knew about. Because Paul was a very educated, very intelligent man. But again, he wanted to know what he wanted them to know to be reminded about what it was he focused on, which was Christ and Christ crucified. And that is a very powerful message. That is the message that will revolutionize an individual's life. We know that it will revolutionize an individual's life because we know that before man can put his life back together, he needs to be reconciled to God. That is the central piece. And that is the central piece of the gospel. Be reconciled to God. When that is taken care of, everything else is going to fall into place, so to speak. So then he moves on in verse 3. He says, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. When he says that, he's not saying that he was afraid to give them the message. What he wants them to understand is, is that he recognized that what he was giving them was a message from God himself. And so it was given in a fearful way. So again, it wasn't like he was trembling, but he understood the impact of what he, uh, and the importance of what he was saying. That he was, that he was going to, that he is answerable to God for the message that he's bringing them. And so there was a fearfulness and a trembling there that he would not misrepresent or diminish in any way the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of these things we need to remember ourselves. We want to make sure that we never diminish uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a sense of fear and trembling in our worship of God, in our living for God, in, in, in our declaration of the gospel. That's why we need to be careful even when we answer someone's question. They say, hey, I'm going to, go, I'm going to do something on Sunday. Would you like to come? They say, well, you know, uh, I kind of do the church thing. I don't, I just think that's a horrible way to answer. What do you mean you do the church thing? Basically, what we're doing is we are, in a sense, kind of jumping on their side and diminishing what the gospel is and who Christ is. We are diminishing this idea that we believe and that we are convicted that we are obligated by the command of God and by the greatness of God and by the goodness of God to come and gather together as, his, as believers and to worship him and to reverence him. And so we should not answer in that way. Now, there's a lot of ways you can answer. I'm not going to tell you, you know, you must do it this way and use this formula of words and this kind of phrasing. But we need to be careful that we're not automatically diminishing it like kind of poo-pooing the idea that, well, you know, I got this thing. In fact, I was talking to a guy once. He was, uh, well, he wasn't saved. He ended up telling me he wasn't saved, but he called himself an Episcopalian. And uh, uh, we were talking, some, some, somehow it came up, we were talking about Sunday morning. He goes, well, you know, I kind of do the church thing. I go because my wife makes me. Now, I understood, I understood later on why he said that because he wasn't a believer. I hope a believer would never say that. Well, you know, my wife makes me, so I kind of go. Now, what are we saying when we say that? You know, we're diminishing Christ. Paul wants to make sure they understood that when he gave them the message of Christ, this was his attitude. He was 
not only fearful in the sense of having this great respect for God, but fearful for them. He wanted to understand the message because the message was so important. And so he was, he, he was you know, there, there's that sense of, of trembling. That's why sometimes, when we, you know, individuals sometimes are, are fearful when they get to speak before an audience. And, you know, we talk, talk about it being nerves and all of those things. But there's a different kind of fear when you speak before an audience that, that sometimes is generated because of the importance of what you're talking about. And so we want to make sure that whether you're speaking to an audience of one or to an audience of many, that there is this sense that we are handling the gospel of Jesus Christ very carefully, with great adoration and sensitivity, where we desire to explain it and to, and to communicate it. We want to make sure that we are also communicating at the same time, not just words so they can grasp the message, but we should also want them to have that sense because we're communicating it with our facial expressions, with our body language, that this is something that we reverence, that this is something that we truly believe. Remember, the world, when I say the world, I mean, that can mean a lot of things, but the, the world in general, what we're familiar with, you know, the media and, and what we see coming across, whether it's on your phone or all the various types of communications that come our way, we know the world mocks us a great deal, mocks Christianity a great deal. But do not ever begin to think that somehow that the whole world thinks that way. There are many individuals out there who are desperately looking for individuals who truly believe in what they say they believe in. And what we communicate by our body language is very important. We want to know that we are all in on this. If, if you are, if you're not all in on this, then, then don't do that. But they need to know that we are all in on this. That we believe this with all, of our, with all of our mind, with all of our heart, with all of our strength. That, that we don't think that this is just one of many ways that a person should live, but this is the only way. That yes, we do think everyone else is wrong. You don't have to say it that way. But we want them to know that we are convinced of the truth of this as we discuss these things with them. And so here Paul, when, when, when Paul was communicating with them, not only in this writing here, but when he was with them in person, he was communicating that to them. And once again, why? Because this was from God. What they believe in, what they're holding on to, is from God himself. It is a message from the creator of the universe. He says in verse 4, he says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So again, don't misunderstand. He did not say that his preaching was not with persuasive words. He was trying to persuade them, but he was not trying to persuade them with human wisdom. What he was doing was explaining to them the truth of the Word of God. That doesn't mean that there was no logic to his presentation. There was logic to his presentation. But what he wants them to understand again, that he was, was not just using or depending on the methods of the world. Sometimes we can do that. I remember, I remember thinking this way when I was a teenager, and I really didn't understand how others disagreed with me until I learned more. But one of the things that was big in the 70s, and maybe it's, it's still a big thing, but it's this idea that if somebody who's famous, if some celebrity becomes a Christian, we immediately want them, we want to kind of parade them around. And the idea really is this. What we're communicating is, see, this famous person has become a Christian. You should too. Now I hope that you never want anyone that you know and love to become a Christian because someone famous did. Because if that's what their faith is in, it's just not going to last long. That's, that is meaningless. 
And we, and we, and there's still a desire for individuals to do that today. Now, don't get that confused with some famous preachers. Now, there are some famous preachers that should no longer be famous, but there are some who are well-known because they are faithful to the Word of God and they're faithful in applying the Word of God and they have character. So they're, they're actually well-known among Christians. They're popular among Christians, but the world doesn't know who they are. Try this one day. Strike up a conversation for a week. As you strike up a conversation with non-believers, ask them if they've heard of Let's say John MacArthur or John Piper. Who? Is that person important? And we would say, absolutely. They're very important. Like, why? What have they done? <laughs> so only the believer is going to get that. So the, we're not, you know, we have to be careful now with the celebrity status of, of certain Bible teachers. I think that can be dangerous. At the same time, there are those who are very well known because of their faithfulness, and that's not a bad thing at all. But we want to be careful that we don't begin to think like the world and say, well, I've explained the gospel to my neighbor. If they can just hear it from John MacArthur, they'll get saved. Well, that really shouldn't be true. Now, maybe John MacArthur can explain it better than you, or maybe at that time, God will use John MacArthur in your life, and they will become a believer. Maybe you were planting the seed. But we want to make sure we get away from this idea that somehow we, we have to get someone of some kind of celebrity status to come and present the gospel, and that somehow, that somehow will help an individual kind of get over the hump to believe. Do you believe in the power of the message of Jesus Christ? then your friends and your loved ones that you're praying for who don't know Christ don't need a celebrity to explain to them the gospel to get saved. God can and will use you to do that. So you learn how to better explain the gospel. You plead with them. If you end up going, inviting them to come with you to hear someone else, and they get, then terrific. That's fantastic. But we want to make sure that we don't allow this idea of someone who was well-known in, at least maybe in some circles, will help that person get over the hump. Because sometimes, and maybe often, we can use that to kind of shy away from our responsibility. But it could also be that it reveals a lack of faith in the message. And that's what Paul, again, is emphasizing. The message of Christ. That's how he begins in Romans, talking about the power of the message of the, of the gospel. It is the power of God to save. That message, it's, it's a very simple message. It is, I believe, a, an extremely logical message in so many ways, even though the world considers it to be foolishness. But that's exactly the plan of God, to use that message to, to bring men to himself. A message that they think is foolishness until their eyes are opened and they see the brilliance of it. So again, Paul says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power. I don't know if you are aware of this, but in history, you know, there's a couple of real famous sermons. John, uh, Jonathan Edwards was, was uh, um, familiar for Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You can get a, if you take an English class, I don't know if they still have this, but I know when I had an English class in, in college, they had a, an English anthology, and in there was that sermon. And, you know, so everybody, everybody could read it. And what I found out through history was that when, when he delivered that message, he, he read it in a monotone. I mean, imagine someone in a monotone reading it. And, and what would, as, as he was going through that message and explaining that the, you know, the, the great danger that many of them were in, that they were, you know, they were, 
They were on their way to hell. They were condemned. They needed Christ. And he was explaining it uh, and kind of painting word pictures for them. And in one sense, when you read the words in a very dramatic fashion, though he was not being dramatic at all. And throughout the sermon, there were times when people were, were weeping and, and they were actually becoming kind of disruptive. It was almost as if some of them wanted to come forward and, and plead with God and he would stop. He said, please, can you, can you please be quiet? Can you please control yourself? I'm not done. And then he would continue to read. And then there would be more of that. He would stop. And he would ask them to control themselves. It's just unbelievable when you think about that. And, but, when you, but at the same time, when you think about that, what becomes clear, at least to me and to many others, is, see, that's the power of God. Man is not orchestrating this emotional response. In fact, this man, Jonathan Edwards, is doing everything he could not to orchestrate that because he's delivering this in a very you know, there's no passion in what he was saying. Conviction, yes, but there is no dramatic passion. And so Paul wants to make sure they understand that, again, because it's the, it's the message that is, that is from God that is the focus, that demonstrates the power of God. This message the world, that the world sees as being foolish, that is the power of God. So then when that message is delivered by whoever it's delivered by, whether it's by the preacher or whether it's by the Sunday school teacher or whether it's by the missionary or whether it's by mom and dad or whether it's by the friend, whoever it happens to be, when they deliver that message, when that individual becomes convicted of their sin and they believe in Christ, you are, you are witnessing the power of God transforming that individual's life. And, and you, you get to be the witness to that. You are the instrument in the hands of God as you explain the gospel message, which is not unique with you. It's not some story that you made up. It's not something that you have made better. You just are simply repeating what everyone else is repeating, and we see the power of God. And Paul here wants them to understand that that's what they have experienced and what they've witnessed. Once again, it's the power of God. When you and I became believers, we did not become believers for any other reason than the power of the message of God. It was the Spirit of God that convicted you and me of our sin. Some individuals have asked me, you know, uh, they say, well, we need to bring back the, you know, the, the hell and damnation kind of preachers. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. I'm not really into all that. But I do know that some preachers who are the screamers, the idea is, is to try to make you feel guilty for your sin. See, that's not the job of a preacher. It's not his job to make you feel guilty. His job is to explain the word of God. Now, there are different personalities. Some would do it calmly. Some may do it with great excitement. But the conviction of sin is not to come because the pastor or anyone else is scolding you because he might be able to make you feel guilty for a while, but that guilt's not going to last long. What we pray for, we want, is for them to feel the guilt of the, that, that comes from the Spirit of God. That's what we desire. That's what we pray for. That's why sometimes we have to be careful that even if you are explaining the gospel to someone, or maybe it's someone you've explained the gospel to before, someone that you know who's heard the gospel and they're unsaved, and let's say they're having a moment where they come to you and they're under great conviction of sin, and they tell you how horrible they feel, that they feel like a worthless individual. Please, at that moment, do not be some kind of progressive American that tries to tell them that they're really okay. They're not okay. Don't try to make them feel better. Ask them questions and try to understand where is this coming from? What is it they're feeling bad over or feeling bad about? In fact, you might even 
be tempted to say, you should feel bad. But, you know, but the point is, is that who is the one that we want to point them to? Christ is the one who's going to deliver them from the guilt that they're feeling. We do not, we should not want to be the instrument of them feeling better about themselves because you may be interfering, interfering with the work of God himself. So we need to let the gospel do its work. Let the gospel do its work in us. Let the gospel do its work in others. Even, even if, maybe even more so when it comes to your children. If your child become, comes under the conviction of sin because we've been so inundated with all this pop psychology we want to do all these things to make them feel better about themselves. Just stop doing that. It's not, a, it's not healthy. All right, what we want them to do is to have a good, proper understanding that, yes, they should feel guilt for what they've done because they've broken the law of God. It's not just they've disobeyed mom and dad, though that's important, but even in the disobeying of mom and dad, they've broken the law of God. That's what we want to keep getting back to, the importance of this message. Because if your children end up believing in the gospel only because of you, one day you will get old and die. And what will happen to their faith? In the beginning, they may begin to believe because of you, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. We want to help them to cultivate their belief, their faith, so it becomes their own, so that they can stand on their own two feet, and they understand the gospel as being the message from God himself. So then when someone says to them, well, I know why you believe, you only believe because your parents were Christians, that child then can say, yes, I thank God my parents were Christians, but that is not why I believe. That's what we want them to do. That's what we want them to be. And so Paul here is continuing to emphasize that the focus is not on him. It's on the message and on the spirit of God. And then, of course, in verse 5, he explains exactly that. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's how he ends that paragraph. Is he, he wants, that, that is what he's been going for, is that. I want them to know. I want your faith to be grounded on, on the power of God and in the power of God. Not because pastor so-and-so is clever or because pastor so-and-so is cool or whatever it happens to be. We need to get away from that. We, we should no longer, it doesn't matter if someone thinks you're cool or not. It is the message of Christ. And sometimes you might even feel emotionally their sense of, of or maybe it's the world's sense of, of, of their mocking attitude towards the gospel. Because when you strip away all of these other things that are out there and you get down to the basic message, in case you were unaware of it, the gospel is a, it's, it's a very religious message. It's very religious. It's all about God and faith and sin and all those things that the world in general just hates. Oh, but that message is powerful. And if you've ever had the privilege where you are with an individual who is grasping the gospel and believing the gospel and then confessing their sin to God and believing in Christ, it's a powerful moment. It, it, even though you yourself experienced that at one point in your life, because we're all different, when you are seeing in another individual and you're seeing them come under, come under the power of God, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's great. When all of a sudden you begin to see the lights come on. And sometimes you can see the lights come on while the person continues to fight against the gospel. They're, they're beginning to understand it and they don't want it to be true and they want to run away from it. It's just an incredible thing. And that's what Paul, again, is emphasizing here. 
It's Christ. Remember that this church, and you know, as Paul writes this letter, this church, they've got a lot of problems. All kinds of problems. And, I, and what Paul is doing is, is he's taking them back to these foundational things because when he addresses these issues, he wants them to be able to overcome many of these sin issues that they have. And it gets back down to basics, which is, remember that this message that you receive is it's not just some cleverly devised thing because Paul is just smarter than anybody else. This is from God. So these things that we're talking about are very important. They are foundational. This is what, is supposed to, what should be motivating us and moving us to do the things that we do and to not do the things that we don't do. We want to make sure that God is the one who's receiving all the glory and all the power for this. Verse 6, he says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. So when he says, first he says he, he, he came and he wasn't you know, speaking in the wisdom of man, then he says he is speaking wisdom. But he says to those who are mature, to those who understand, to those who have understanding, there is great wisdom in the gospel message. There is great wisdom in the teachings that come from Scripture. And so those who are mature can see this. Again, if you listen to individuals like John Piper and John MacArthur, we can go through a long, long list of individuals uh, that we might enjoy listening to because of the way, they, the way that they explain and handle the Word of God. Those who are mature really enjoy that. You take individuals who are immature and they're like, they don't get it. Whether they are a believer and they're immature or they're non believer, they don't get, get it. Remember one time I, we, uh, we took a group down, uh, where well, we all kind of got together and went our own, but... We went to the Ligoniers conference down in, in um, Orlando in March, and it was the early 2000s. And there was a young man in our church who had been a believer for about um, three or four years. Uh, his, his mom and dad uh, were not saved, and they, they came with him. Well, if you go to a Ligoniers conference, like many Bible conferences, even though a lot of people get excited about it, try imagining what this is like from the viewpoint of a non-believer. So a bunch of individuals get dressed and go to a church building during the week. And in the morning, you sing these hymns, and then you hear a sermon. And everyone's excited. Then when the sermon ends, there may be a break, but everyone's rushing around because there's going to be another sermon. And we're still excited about it. And then we go and we listen to the sermon, and as we listen to it, then we, we break for lunch. And we talk about the sermon that we heard, and there's another guy preaching later. Can you imagine what the non-believer is thinking as he watches this? And then after lunch, we go back in that room, and we sing again, and then we listen to a sermon. Then there's another sermon before dinner. That's four in one day. Then we break for dinner. And we're all excited because... We think even the better preachers are preaching after dinner. So we all rush back. In fact, sometimes in those conferences, people are scolded because they were saving their seats. Saying, don't save your seats because more people are coming. And so then we all gather together and we sing and we hear songs being sung. And then another man preaches. Well, this guy who's been saved for three years, he's there. He says, my parents think I'm nuts. I go, why? He'd never been to a conference like that. He goes, this is awesome. And then he told me, who would have thought 
that I thought it was great and exciting to hear five sermons in one day. He goes, one day, and there's five more tomorrow. <laughs> and the world thinks we're nuts when it comes to those kinds of things. But to those who are mature, we understand that. We are excited about that. We don't look down on those who don't get that. We want them to enjoy what we enjoy. They want, we want them to have that. I never forget I was talking to a guy once at Starbucks, and this was a couple years ago, and, and uh, he said, well, because I, I go into a lot. So anyway, he said, well, you, you weren't here last week. Where were you? He said, oh, I went, I went to a, a conference with pastors. Whoa, what do you do? Well, we listen to preaching. What? But your pastors. Yeah, we need preaching too. So, so what do you do when the preaching's done? Well, it doesn't get done. You see, there's preaching in the morning. Then there's preaching in mid-morning. And then there's preaching in the afternoon. Then there's a, a, a bunch of preachers who get together and talk about preaching. Then there's a son of the sermon. And then we break. And then we go back. And there's maybe one or two more sermons that night. He goes, that's really weird. I said, no, it's really great. So again, what Paul is saying here is that we speak wisdom among those who are mature. But then he reminds them, it's not of this age. Not the rulers of this, of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And again, the mystery means simply that what was not revealed before is revealed now. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. Because if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Basically, again, meaning that if the rulers had understood the wisdom of God, then when Christ came, they would not have crucified him. They would not have done it. They would not have wanted to have done it because they would have understood things spiritually. We will continue on with this next week as we move on through the argument that Paul gives here, which I believe he continues to strengthen this message, emphasizing that what we have is from God. So for those of you that are believers here this morning, what I want to emphasize to you today is, is what I want you to remind yourself about during the week is that what we believe is from God. And your life is different if you are a believer because of the power of the message that comes from God. And that it wasn't because of someone who was clever no matter who it was that led you to Christ. It wasn't because they were the most intelligent individuals no matter who that individual was or how smart they were. There was the power of God and that he should receive all the praise, the honor, the glory and our attention and our devotion and our obedience. And that we need to continue to believe in this to the point that when we declare to others the truth of the word of God, we can do so without embarrassment, we can do so without shame because again, it's the same message. It, the same message that convicted you of your sin and your need of Christ is what we are to share with others. And we can do so without having to worry about how do we manipulate that message to make it sound better to them. Just explain what it means. And let God take care of the rest. Whether they become a believer at that moment or whether they become a believer at a later time. Pray and ask God to give you that wisdom and to bless individuals' understanding and to continue to pray for them. And for those of you who are here this morning who may not know Christ, you may, you, you may have come to church for a long time. You may have been coming here or maybe even, in, in a sense, con convinced yourself to believe in the gospel because you think it's the best thing that's out there. And even though on one hand it is the best thing that's out there, that's not why we believe. 
If, if that's the only reason you believe it, what's going to happen if you think something else that's better or makes more sense comes along? Then you're going to abandon ship. This is the only message, this is the only truth that reconciles a sinful man to God himself. And so I would encourage you to consider the claims of Christ and to ask yourself if you are a believer in the word of God, a believer in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And ask yourself why you believe these things. Do you truly believe them deep in your heart? Are you convicted and convinced that they are true in every way? Whether it's myself or others, there are many of you more than happy to discuss at length with you any of these things. Because God is not afraid of questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. Because the message is true. Because the message is, the message is he has given to us. It is the message of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace and your love and your goodness and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel message, Father, that we believe as Christians that Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, came to the world, took on flesh, lived that perfect life, lived among sinful man, revealing to us the Father in heaven, and then took upon himself the sins of the world and was willingly crucified and then died and was buried and rose again. Father, we thank you so much for that message. We thank you, Lord, for those that you use in our lives to bring us the gospel message because father for most of us maybe for all of us it was many many individuals through the years of our lives that lived the gospel and explained the gospel and declared the gospel to us before we became believers and we thank you father for them and we pray lord that you would encourage our hearts to be one of those individuals in the lives of others to be those who live the gospel and de- explain the gospel and declare the gospel to others help us to realize lord is the gospel it is the message of God, which is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. We pray, Lord, that we become deeply convinced of its power and truthfulness. We pray, Lord, as I know, this will bring to us great joy and great confidence in life. We do ask, Lord, that, again, you would be with those who do not know Christ. And we pray that you would continue to search their hearts. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to convince, convince them of their sin. We pray that you would continue to disturb them and cause them to think often about the gospel and to consider all your claims. And Father, as always, when any come to Christ, we will rejoice greatly over each one that does because, Father, it will be a demonstration of the power of God. Again, we thank you, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.